Welcome to Cover Your Eyes Podcast. Today we're talking about the movie Stripes from 1981. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Holly. How'd you like the movie? I don't know. Like is a strong word. (laughs) (laughs) And so it begins. (laughs) (laughs) So... I agree with you. Bill Murray is the comedic genius in some ways, in some forms, but not so much in this movie. Um, Again, I think we just have to put everything in like the context of the time and what else was going on in comedy at that time and realize that this was maybe like groundbreaking or different. I didn't think it was funny. I didn't think it was, I really didn't find any redeeming qualities. Can I just say that? Wow. Yes. Ouch. Sorry. No, I mean, it's your podcast, so you can say whatever you want. I wanted to like it. Mm-hmm. And I remember it like from childhood. And I remember that it was like super popular. And I expected to like it at least somewhat because of just who's in it. But I was just like, is this over yet? It's so long. It's like That's an hour and 45 minutes long for a I don't comedy. Know. It was long. I'm kind of the opinion a comedy movie does not need to be longer than 90 minutes. Oh, that brings me to my joke. What? How many editors does it take to screw in a light bulb? How many? They don't know. They couldn't find any. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they just left everything in. Things that did not need to be there. <sighs> yeah. So, okay. This movie's from 1981. It's got a lot of funny, famous people in it. Like Bill Murray, obviously he's the main character, John Winger. And then Russell Ziski, mm-hmm. who's, or Zilke, I don't know, his friend, Harold Ramis. So, and it was directed by Ivan Reitman. So that's like the Ghostbusters trio right there. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, like good things are coming. I feel like they were practicing in their basement or something when they made this movie <laughs> and getting ready to make something good later. That's like the feel I have of it. Um, and then it had Ox, uh, John Candy, who like, who doesn't love John Candy? Mm, definitely. And Elmo is played by Judge Reinhold, who was like in every 80s movie also. You know, it's funny as I was trying to find like the Siskel and Ebert thumbs up, thumbs down, but I couldn't mm-hmm. find it particularly for this, but Ebert gave it 3.5 stars. He liked it. And Siskel didn't really like it. But he did point out that typically, like, the fat man in the movie is the butt of jokes and, like, made to do, like, a lot of physical comedy to play up, like, the fact that he's fat. But it, he said, like, that didn't happen in this movie. But it did. Do you disagree? Yeah. Because of the mud wrestling thing? Yeah. I thought the whole mud wrestling scene was a fat joke. I can see that. If you put any other guy in the barracks in a mud rustling pit with five, six women, let's say he's fairly muscular. The women are coming at him. He's throwing the women off of him. Is that funny in any way? Now take a fat guy. Like, Mm -hmm. where's the huge, like, what's supposed to be funny about this mud wrestling? It's not the women, because the women are just supposed to be hot. Which I think if they wanted to make this scene actually hot, they would have made it an oil wrestling competition. Because mud is just, but I wanted to take a poll, and then I thought about texting all the men I know to Uh ask them if they thought mud wrestling was hot. (laughs) I feel like maybe I might not get an accurate picture because even if they did answer me, I feel like maybe a lot of them would be like, oh, no, I don't think this is hot at all. Right. And <laughs> well, like, maybe this they... is a trap. Say no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I truly want to know if <laughs> if you are into women mm-hmm. sexually, do you think mud wrestling is hot? Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on who's doing the wrestling. <laughs> I would say <laughs> I would say yes, it could still be. <laughs> 
the thing that I thought about this scene, like this is a huge memorable scene from the movie. Um, and it's like the clip that they show on Netflix right now is like the preview for the movie is like John Candy's face between like two mud covered butts or something. But I thought it was interesting. So the women are obviously like very attractive and they're working in this bar. That's like all the waitresses are topless and everything. It's like sports themed. And there are also two Chippendale dancers standing off to the side. So there's like a tiny bit for the women. I don't know what those guys are doing there. <laughs> they look very out of place. But um, so the women who are doing the mud wrestling, they're like um, attractive and they're wearing bathing suits, really. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they seem to be taking it like seriously. Like they look very athletic oh, yeah. and fit. And they're no, really they wouldn't going have... for it. I feel yeah. like the vibe in this place is that these mud wrestling women mm-hmm. are looking for a fight. Yes. And they're luring the men in to the fight with their tits and ass. Yes. But once you get in there with them, you might think you're getting tits and ass, but really you're just getting the hell beat out of you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're like mud drenched sirens luring you into the pit. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, And that's what happened to him. Yes, he did get assaulted. (laughs) So then he started fighting back. So it's like, well, you know, men aren't supposed to hit women. But if he is being like physically attacked by like four women and they're in there to wrestle, then I guess fair is fair. Well, that's how it's a trap. Mm-hmm. Because you will be like, they just have free reign to beat the hell out of you, and you're a guy, so you can't do anything about it. Exactly. And it's like, oh, sorry, this is just like a microcosm of the reverse of the entire world for women. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like women's chance to like get back at men for all of the abuse and double standards that they suffer all the time, and then mm-hmm. they just have this like tiny ring filled with mud to take it out on one man at a time. <laughs> but they still have to lure him in by looking hot. That's true. But I know by what you're saying. It's necessary. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of had mixed feelings about the mud wrestling scene this time. Jumping back mm-hmm. to childhood. My recollection of this, of stripes is very little. There are brief moments that I remember seeing like clips of I kind of had more fresh eyes this time than you who I feel like you know you were the one that was like let's do stripes yeah I feel like the mud wrestling scene was the main thing that made me want to do it because I just wanted to watch it again as an adult and be like what is this like I think as a kid I just knew like this seems like something I shouldn't be seeing and like even though I know I was (laughs) naked I just felt like this is like dirty and provocative well when you're completely covered in mud at that point you kind of look nude you do it was basically it seemed sexual and I was just like oh I'm watching this (laughs) and seeing like naked bodies writhing all over each other basically in mud so it was just kind of like thrown in there with harmless goofball stuff and like John Candy makes it seem more harmless I think I really knew what to feel about it except that like I probably shouldn't be seeing it but I was like glad that I did because when you're a kid I think you're just like oh this seems bad and like I'm sneaking in being able to watch it I don't (laughs) really know what's happening or how I should feel about it yet but I'm seeing this you get to play adult Mm-hmm. That's how I always felt whenever I got to watch these movies. With especially if I was watching them with my parent, like I'm like an adult, like they think I'm like an adult because they're <laughs> right. letting me watch this movie. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, I felt really special and like, wow, they really know I can handle my stuff <laughs> in the real world. <laughs> Of fatal attraction. <laughs> That's great. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I can handle my stuff. It's like a six-year-old. You're like, yep. <laughs> Ready for the world. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Murray is John Winger, who's basically like, he's supposed to be in his late 20s, I believe. And he's a cab driver. 
with a bit of an attitude <laughs> and he's having a really bad day at the beginning of the movie where basically he, someone drips him on a fair and they leave without paying. And then he has this like rich woman with all this luggage who says she needs to get to the airport really fast. And that just makes him upset because she's making demands of him and she wants him to be careful with her luggage. So he just like throws it in very not carefully. And um, that just kind of like gives you a little bit of a view of the kind of person that he is. It's just like this woman's making a pretty reasonable request of like, I need to get to the airport fast and please be careful with my expensive luggage. And he's like, Oh, okay. Well then I'm going to like damage your luggage instantly and go like the long way to the airport and not get you there. (laughs) And then drive like a maniac on the way and like endanger your life. You know, I'm an orphan. (laughs) Like I'm rude to you because I'm an orphan. And then she's like, well, I'm a really snobby rich bitch. Therefore, young man, it's your fault that your parents are dead. <laughs> and then you hate her guts. Even though he was initially the one that was like extra rude. Exactly. Like, I feel like this scene just sums him up and like sums up the movie. <laughs> and then so when she does confront him for like almost killing her and other people by driving recklessly. She's like, I'm going to report you. And then he's like, I don't need this. And then he stops on the bridge with like tons of people behind him and blocks the traffic and just gets out and um, throws his keys in the river and quits. So because he's having a bad day and didn't like how things were going, he inconveniences like thousands of other people who did nothing wrong. Exactly. I mean, people have to come tow that taxi. Yeah. Because there's no keys. Yeah. Then there's traffic backed up because that's going to take at least an hour to get Mm -hmm. that taxi off the way. All the traffic's going to back up. He just made that bad day for everybody. It's like that movie with Michael Douglas where he like loses it. Oh, yes. You know that movie? Mm hmm. I can't think of the name. But I know what you're talking about. But basically, that just summarizes his personality and his outlook on life and how he treats other people. Um, And that continues throughout. But so after that, then he gets home and he's like, tells his girlfriend, oh, I, you know, I kind of quit my job. And she obviously this is a pattern. So she's like, you know what? You're not going anywhere. This isn't cute anymore. I'm leaving. And then he also finds out that he's like getting kicked out of his apartment and also his um, car gets repossessed so he loses his job his girlfriend and his place to live like all in one day and then his friend who teaches english as a second language comes over and he's like oh i'm having a really bad day and all this stuff happened and he talks him into joining the army with him and that's where it all starts <laughs> and of course he keeps like this whole uh rebel sarcastic attitude the whole time which doesn't work in the army hijinks ensue and he gets into it with his commanding officer and then they also meet these like two military police officers who happen to be like beautiful women who happen to fall in love with him and his friend and we'll get into that later but then later even though they're like total screw-ups and doing everything wrong it ends up that they become heroes and are rewarded for their behavior of course yeah and that's pretty much all i can say the fantasy of the boomer (laughs) rebel 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 when people don't like how rude you are it's their fault (laughs) you'll be rewarded in the end for your rebellion i mean that's what the whole like 80s is about breaking rules that hurt other people but it's like well what are you disrupting other people's lives awesome you're so cool yeah that's basically what he's doing so obviously there are like times when it's appropriate to rebel against things and it's for like the good of other people. But in this case, that's not what's happening. It's like, you're just rebelling for your own good to the detriment of others. Greta Thunberg. Mm-hmm. Well, she's punk as fuck. Yeah. She stands up to crinkled old bullies. Crinkled. That's <laughs> basically like what's going on. It's just like, he is supposed to be, I guess, res- representing like the little guy, but it's like he's a little guy with a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> you know, that's 
yeah. spreading it to everyone else. You know, mass murderers that go in somewhere and they kill a bunch of people and then they like kill themselves. Right. They woke up that morning and they were having a bad day and they made the decision to go make everybody else have a terrible day, have the worst day, the worst day ever. And that's the only way they can exert their power is by spreading their bad mood and feelings of victimhood when in reality they've made a series of terrible decisions for themselves. <laughs> Whereas John joins the military and continues to exert his will and make everyone else in the troop have a bad day continuously. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's true. If you want to rebel, like joining the army isn't the way to go. No. You know? It doesn't fly there. No. Also, it really like you cannot do anything wrong because you really are punishing everyone else in your platoon. Or what is that what they call them? Um, yeah. Yeah. And he did that multiple times just because he had to make like smart aleck remarks. Then everyone else had to run like double miles because he couldn't hold his tongue. Um, and that happened multiple times. And it's just like, it didn't seem to phase him at all. He didn't learn from it. He just kept doing it. I'm like, well, sorry, that's just me. I've got to be me. <laughs> and you're all going to suffer for it. Hey, I've got to be me. <laughs> In the army. <laughs> If you want to, like, express your individuality, like, the army is not the place to do it. I'm sorry. Everyone knows that going in. You know? Yes. I mean, I'm all for being a smart aleck. A hundred percent. But there are times and places in which it's very clear that, there, like, it's a mutual agreement that you're not a smart aleck. And the other people in the group don't want you to be a smart aleck. <laughs> exactly. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so when I started watching this movie, I got a text from you, and I was about 20 minutes in. Mm -hmm. And I got a text from you that was like, this is a terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> but up until this point, I had actually been laughing the whole time, even though like, I was like, man, what a dick move to leave your car on the road well, like what we talked about like I had all that in mind but I still thought it was really funny and actually oh, okay. I had thought like you know this is how good these guys are they can make these super dick moves look really funny mm -hmm. and just kind of thinking about that and laughing and everything so when I saw that I was like oh that's really interesting like because I'm I'm really enjoying this movie. And I also thought, um, you know, Harold Remus, Remus. was like, Remus was like um, really adorable as an English teacher. Yeah. And he really just looked like he was enjoying himself. And I was like, man, you know, that's so sweet. So I was like, man, I wonder what she's talking about. 30 minutes in, I was like oh, this is going to be, like, one of these movies <laughs> where it's basically just the formula of the smart Alec who's always causing trouble in every single situation, creates chaos, gets rewarded for it through trickery. That was, like, a really big trope dream, and I feel like Stripes is the, like, extreme version and it makes me wonder and i and i don't know that the the people that are considered baby boomers find these guys particularly funny mm -hmm. they were writing comedy for the boomer generation and the boomers ate it up what is it that's so hysterical about the rebel like rebelling to create chaos and to mm -hmm. be rewarded because part of all of these movies is that you are rewarded for bad behavior. I mean, I guess that's kind of the dream, like you said, for a lot of people, I'm sure all of us at some point, like 
with work or school or something like that, we feel like we would like to rebel, but we can't. And so, or we're afraid to, because we are following like social norms and we do know there are repercussions. And so like watching other people be able to do it for us, it's kind of like living out the fantasy of like, oh yeah, this is what I would like to do. Oh, like and it's a not have any serious problems afterwards, only rewards. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's something everyone would kind of want. Right. Maybe deep down, even if they wouldn't admit it out loud. And yeah, I didn't think about that. That's an excellent point. Well, and then if you put it in the context of the baby boomers, they grew up during a time of ultra cons- conservative conformist pressures the communist scare hiding under their desks for drills that they mm-hmm. might get bombed and just like disappear into a shadow <laughs> mm-hmm. like nobody talks about that but like that was what the baby boomers were raised with i'm like that had to have had an effect on you <laughs> You know, I feel like a lot of um, people of that generation uh, maybe don't have as much um, empathy for the the shootings in schools and the fear that kids have in schools now. Oh. And they maybe on some level they're like, well, we had to hide under our desks every day for drills that we might die. So big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that before, but again, another case of I had a bad fucking day. You need to have a bad day too. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the opposite of the pay it forward concept oh, right, <laughs> with Simon. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh fuck! That's the that's negative terrible. pay it forward. When they finally got to the barracks after they joined the army. So they have their first interaction with Stella and Louise and it's like, you know, they're trying to kind of get away with stuff. And it's like Stella says, I don't have time to listen to that. (laughs) And it's just like, whatever. I'm not, I don't need your approval really. Mm -hmm. That was about the last thing I thought was funny. I think. And then they get to the barracks and I was just sort of like, oh, now it's that like comedy, the thing that happens in a lot of comedy movies where the middle is kind of at a lull because mm-hmm. it has to like reposition itself to get to the the end of the movie and where there's like a climax of laughter. What felt creepy about this, about Stripes one thing that was creepy was John Larroquette, <laughs> Captain Stillman. Oh, there were just like sprinkled moments of creepiness throughout. He's the tits and ass catalyst. The creepy guy. Clearly, this is the creepy guy in the movie. He's the villain of the film. Mm-hmm. He's the big bad boss of the army, whatever they call him. And he's the one that stares with binoculars at women in the shower putting soap on their boobs. And guess what? Women in showers putting soap on their boobs is extremely attractive. I'm not going to deny that. Sometimes I look down in the shower and I'm like, Hell yes, I love being a woman. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm fine with that. But the problem I have is that it's positioned as I'm sneaking a peek and this guy's a voyeur, right? Yeah. I'm condemning the voyeur because he's the bad guy in the movie. But we're all bad guys because we're all partaking in his voyeurism you're condemning something that you're telling us to also enjoy and laugh at. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the icky part. That's probably why people laugh, because people laugh when they get uncomfortable. Definitely. It was uncomfortable. Like, you can put 
tits and ass in movies where like the women are enjoying the fact like they're being objectified and i feel really comfortable seeing that it's it's sexual violation in comedy Mm -hmm. that creeps me out really bad and seeing it as a child told me one don't ever go to a public shower and get undressed (laughs) (laughs) because you will end up on the bottom of a pie tin at a fair. Revenge of the nerds. (laughs) (laughs) And also you are going to become the object of like objectification that's unwanted on a regular basis. And so the other thing that it taught me was that when I'm enjoying a movie and laughing and having a really great time, it's just like in real life because I could be violated at any time in real life and that it would be part of the comedy. It's true. It's like, why did that need to be in there? You could give the impression of what he was doing without actually like showing it, especially in the 80s. You have to have TNA. And there has to be like a shower scene, but you could just have showing the women in the shower, not someone like peeking at them creepily, like a superior officer too. So that makes it even worse. Well, and then it also, you know, tells women that no matter where you are, what you do or how powerful you are, you will still be objectified sexually at all times. The first sign that this movie was going downhill fast was when John made that comment about how, like, when he gets in the army, he can fuck teenage girls. Oh, my God. Yes. And he's, like, 29. Yeah. He looks way older. He does look way older. But he turned 30, like, two months into filming or something. Yeah. I know. And, I mean, no judgment. Aging's fine. Yeah, but the the effect of it, if you just didn't know how old he was, or yeah, how it old makes he it even was grosser when be. he says that he's gonna fuck a bunch of teenage girls. What is the obsession with fucking teenage girls in eighties movies from grown men? It's just like in the rock videos, like you were talking about earlier. I've been um, thinking about this, and I think that it's being naive. Oh yeah. Then you'll go along with being used Mm -hmm. sexually yes and they don't have um a big frame of reference so whatever your sexual performance is is probably going to seem better to them because they haven't had as much sex or maybe no sex and that's like the dream for you Mm -hmm. as a grown woman would be like you're just not that good (laughs) right (laughs) so i feel like a lot of those guys get turned on by immaturity and naivete Mm -hmm. and innocence that comes along with being a teenager. I mean, that's what Lolita is really Mm -hmm. about. It is not a love story. Okay. No. (laughs) If you read that as a love story, like get therapy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't really know what else to say about the story. So All that happens, like you said, there's like a lull in the middle where just like Mm -hmm. playing out the power dynamic between him and his commanding officer, Sergeant Hulka. Mm -hmm. It's like a battle of wills. And then it ultimately comes to like a physical altercation scene, which is how a lot of guys do just like work things out. It happens in movies and it happens in real life. I always find it to be incredibly homoerotic. Just like a thing. Like I know in high school, guys would do that there are these two guys that like really hated each other. They were like rivals. And then one day they just like finally beat each other up and then they became really good friends. I don't understand it, but I think it's like a form of fucking. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe something also, cause like when you have sex, then there's like the oxytocin and that's like a bonding hormone. And maybe the hormones that are released, like with all the adrenaline and everything when you're fighting does something too. (gasps) Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Awesome. Cool. So that's what happens with Winger and Hulka. And Hulka um, takes off his hat and he's like, I'm not your commanding officer now. I'm just a man. Mm -hmm. And then 
they have a physical fight and Hulka basically disables Winger with one punch to the gut. <laughs> so he establishes his physical dominance and it's like that should already be known. Like he shouldn't even have to struggle for dominance because you're in the army and he's your commanding officer. So you should just respect him and follow his rules anyway. You made an agreement. Yeah, you made an agreement. Mm-hmm. But Winger just keeps challenging the agreement and then so finally it's like, well, maybe you'll understand this <gasps> and a gut punch. Maybe that will get the message across to you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Did it? Did it really change anything? I don't remember. I don't no. think it really did. You know, Private Benjamin came out like the year before this <clears throat> with Goldie Hawn. Oh, her um, life takes a horrible turn and then she joins the army. And I think Private Benjamin is a better film. Uh, okay, so you know there was the draft. You just kind of grew up like, okay, well, you got to spend a few If you're a dude, you got to spend a few years in the military. Hope that you don't go to war. So then the draft ended because after the Vietnam fiasco. And everybody's like, the military sucks. Uh-huh. Real bad. It's awful. And then all of a sudden in the early 80s, we get all these movies where we're making the military fun again. (laughs) It's just interesting, like the Goldie Hawn movie, this movie, An Officer and a Gentleman. uh, Top Gun. Top Gun. That's interesting because one of the things I saw (laughs) was that um, (laughs) Ivan Reitman was like so surprised that the military was very like accommodating for them Mm -hmm. to film on an actual base Mm -hmm. and even though it's really making a lot of the military look like buffoons he said but maybe that's why because it helped just get like the broader message or popularizing the military and they needed to like up their recruits this movie it was like pretty popular and it was the fifth most popular movie of 1981 which i was like okay hmm. and then um it's got good reviews on rotten tomatoes it's got 88 mm-hmm. percent, and on google 84 percent of people liked it and i'm just like i don't i was just so surprised by that i don't know well, i must be missing something i just like this one review that i saw it was from time magazine in 1981 private benjamin meet meatballs because it's basically like that. Yeah, you're right. Tired moviegoers meet tired movie makers. It's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> that is good. That's exactly how I feel about it. Oh, it's my like, God. Ugh. Okay, bye. I'll see you yeah. next Tuesday. <laughs> that sums it up. <laughs> One of the big things they're leading up to is like the parade for their graduation. And their platoon isn't prepared. Of course. of course, of course. Well, so how like, could they cram be? the night before? Because they're always they... having to do extra work because of him. <laughs> John can't keep his mouth shut for five minutes. Exactly. While they all find that out that they're in trouble for like going to that bar that night, and while they're all getting in trouble, John and his friend Russell are with the military police women, like getting it on in some other commanding officer's house, and so it's like once again. They like led this rebellion and caused the problem and they're getting away with it and they're getting rewarded by having like sex with these women who, why did those women even like them? I don't know. Because of that, like that night, everyone has to stay up cramming to prepare to be ready for graduation. And then of course, um, John Winger, Bill Murray steps in and he's the one that ultimately like gets them to come together and, Hmm. you know, we've seen this pattern before. I'm going to create the problem and then rescue you from the problem that I created. And then I'm the hero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then it's still a problem because they fall asleep because they were up on like cramming and they're like missing the parade. And then so they just go out there. They're all disheveled looking and they do something that's completely not what they're supposed to be doing. And they incorporate the doo diddy diddy dum diddy do song in it, which comes up in the movie like a billion times. And everybody's like, oh my what's this and so even though they're doing everything wrong and not following regulation and somehow they get rewarded for that too well everybody thinks that their boss decided to do a comedy act also they were completely perfectly in sync and the whole point of the military is to operate without a single mind but to operate Mm -hmm. as one unit a group mind mm-hmm. perfectly in sync. Okay. 
I can buy that. Um, yeah. So after all that, I was like, oh, okay, it's coming to an end. And then it's like, no, there's like a whole other <clears throat> section of the movie that I did not even remember existed. Yes. I was like, where? Why? There's a good amount of black men in the unit for, especially for 1981. Whenever they're practicing, somebody says says something about like okay black guys you need to help the white guys like stay on rhythm yeah i think it was john winger there's like an easy example of white people making trying to always make black people like responsible for taking care of them in some way that they have no right there's no right of expectation like, like, why should those guys be responsible for you not having rhythm? Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. like, now you have all this pressure. Like, what if you don't have any fucking rhythm? It would be like, you know, if, like, hey, you're all a bunch of white guys. Uh, I need to, you to teach this other guy how to play golf. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, there's that. Whatever. It's 1981. But then, like, Ox, like, gets really mad. Some of the black guys are like, uh, I don't, like, I'm not responsible for that. Yeah. And then Ox got all mad and, like, started a fight. I know. With the black guys. It was so uncomfortable. What? (laughs) I I know, because the one guy, um, he was like, what did he say? He was like, why would he say that to us? And then Ox is like, he said... You guys helped the white guys and then like got all aggressive. It was so terrible. It's like, why is this in here? Why is this happening? It served like no purpose. The way it was framed, it was like everybody's trying to work as a group and we're under pressure, but we're allowed to believe that it's somehow some sort of mutual exchange happening. Because that's kind of how I felt in this scenario. I was like, I feel like I'm supposed to think this is just like mutual tension. It seemed like you were supposed to think that there was mutual tension, but really it was all one-sided and inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It was very strange. And it's just like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why they put that in there. I don't know what (laughs) they're trying to do. I just also just didn't like seeing John Candy be aggressive in any way because I'm just not used to that. <laughs> you know, and just yeah. like, what's going on? Like, this is, like, the group of people I love, and they made this movie that's just, like, kind of grosses me out real bad. <laughs> they go to Italy. They get this special mission. They have this, like, war mobile. <laughs> That is, like, indestructible and outfitted with all kinds of missiles and things. And, but it just looks like a hippie bus or kind of a deal, right? John and Russell are like, we miss our ladies. And they're in Germany. So we're going to drive this deathmobile to Germany to steal our ladies away for a night of lovemaking. The two main characters, they pursue women that they have an emotional bond with. They could have very easily just been like, let's go party in Italy. That's true. Yeah, that's actually kind of nice. Louise and Stella, they play a primary role in saving everyone Mm -hmm. at the end of the movie. And... They're very strong and independent, and they're never portrayed as anything other than that. So it's just so interesting, like, the contradictory messages about women, because then at the end of the movie, it kind of shows where everybody... It shows everybody, like, on a magazine cover. This is what happened in this character. And Stella's magazine cover is the cover of Penthouse, so so she's like the strong woman who's actually pretty responsible for saving a whole platoon of men from commies. Her reward, the cover of Penthouse. Right. I didn't like that. 
I feel like it sums up what you were supposed to be as a woman in the 80s, though. Then they show that the other um, female military police officer, Louise, is on the cover of, like, RV magazine or something like that. And she's kind of infiltrated that industry and (laughs) dominating it somehow. So I was like, well, at least they're showing her doing something, like, constructive and acknowledging her skills in a different way totally because i was like if they put louise on the cover of playboy (laughs) turning this off (laughs) we're just not even gonna do this one no (laughs) so 50 percent objectification is pretty good for an 80s movie i guess yeah i mean i know (laughs) i know that they had a formula the peeping tits and ass got a lot of laughs and the studio execs wanted that in these screwball comedy movies. Uh-huh. And I think that's reflected because in a lot of ways the the women are, you know, stronger and smarter than the men. Stella and Louise are really the smartest people in the movie. The only other part of the movie that I wanted to talk about was mm-hmm. the quote-unquote Aunt Jemima scene. When they're finally, like, because the girls, the military police officers have had, like, three encounters with John Winger and Russell. And they've all been for, like, them getting in trouble doing dumb things. And uh, when they're in that other commanding officer's house, the girls are supposed to be watching it. And the guys just run inside the house. They're not supposed to be in there. but And they end up making out with the girls. And that's the night that they all have sex. But it's all just, like, very weird. And it's like, why would these women even really like them? They've demonstrated, like, no redeeming qualities, really. Except for <laughs> Russell. Like, Harold Ramis is fine. And his yeah. relationship with Sean Young, um, Louise, is cute. And, like, it is cute. Okay, so we're talking about the Aunt Jemima scene, and um, it's so named because of Aunt Jemima pancake mix, which now has been canceled. Yes. So that's what it's in reference to. The Aunt Jemima treatment is what Bill Murray says he's going to give to um, the officer, Stella, that he's been flirting with through the whole movie. And he, like, forcefully takes off her belt that has her gun in it because he said she needs to be disarmed and then like picks her up and puts her on the stove and he's like you know what's wrong with you you haven't had the Aunt Jemima treatment yet and then he gets a spatula out of the drawer and starts he turns the oven on for real so it actually is getting hot underneath her while they're filming and then he takes the spatula and just like shoving it underneath her butt and into her crotch and making her hop all around on the stove he's like oh that's not working um you need maybe you need this and then he grabs the ice creams or he grabs a rolling pin and he's like rolling it all over her and she's like stop i'm not enjoying this and then he's like well maybe you need this and then he gets the ice cream scoop out of the drawer let's see what we can do with this and like puts that between her legs and starts doing something with it and she's just like (laughs) and it's like the whole time he's like you like me don't you you know you love me you're in love with me and it's like all this time he's just like forcefully manipulating her with kitchen tools and wanting her to tell him that she loves him and it's so uncomfortable and then he's like just say it you like me and then he's like you're hopelessly in love with me aren't you and then she's like no 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 and then finally she's like yes and it's so cringy and terrible John, he doesn't know how to do foreplay, okay? So what he's telling me in the scene is that he doesn't know how to please a lady. And so he reverts to being a 12-year-old boy who thinks that nipples are for twisting, like a (laughs) wind-up toy. Which, by the way, they are not. They are not. Unless you're specifically (laughs) asked to twist a nipple, do not ever twist a nipple. That is a public service announcement. Definitely. <laughs> you just saved relationships right there. What can I say? <sighs> yeah. It, so he doesn't know how to do foreplay. No. And so... The oven 
being on, so the burner, the literal oven burner, lighting a fire under her ass mm. is supposed to substitute for, oh, I don't know, say your lover's hand or tongue or some, you know, other sort of like intimate contact. But, like, John can't have intimate contact with anybody. He has to always be putting a barrier between himself and everyone else. And he does it consistently throughout the movie. He's he's good friends with Russell. They're joining together, right? They get to the base. And immediately, John has to make sure that everyone is against him. He cannot... Um, comfortably move in an environment where he has allies mm -hmm. and it's so deep that it even runs into the way that he experiences foreplay yeah i can see that <laughs> yeah because whenever <clears throat> she finally like quote-unquote gives into him and is like Yes. And then they decide they're going to go upstairs and be intimate. Then she hops down and he's like, oh, it's good to know you can move like that when you need to. And she's like, it's good to know you can make me so hot. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I feel like that scene is just so terrible because it's just so I feel like reflective of what happens so often for real, especially to like young girls where they're just like badgered into consenting to something. Mm -hmm. And it's just, there it is with two adults doing it. Like a military police officer is being a, badgered into it. It's actually the dating equivalent of a false confession. <laughs> you know that's what it reminded me of i was like how ironic that she's the police officer in this situation <laughs> true that scene i feel like just is very cringy and sums up a lot of what's been going on with men and women for decades <laughs> yeah that's finally like changing hopefully yeah well but, and uh, oh yeah it, go ahead. it's like he's it's like he's just trying to hide that he doesn't know how any of her pleasure buttons work like that's what that's what that tells that behavior tells me oh, okay and then but the here's the thing about not immediately making out with the person that you're into and like you know people take it slow and they go on all these dates and stuff mm -hmm. and that's like yeah but you can go on a ton of dates and have great friend chemistry and be like and then they get together physically and then they're like well this doesn't work but by that time right. you have an investment mm -hmm. so you just sort of play along that the physicality of it is working and then that's how you get into these relationships where you've like been with somebody for a year or two and you're like the sex is really lackluster Save yourself some time. Yeah, that's like a deal breaker <laughs> right off the bat. But you've already invested all this time. You've got to cut your losses <laughs> at that point. What, what is that called? Because there's a term for that. It's um, it's because it's a reason that people stay in multi... It's, it's a reason people stay in pyramid schemes that call themselves multi-level marketing. Oh, um, and it's like, okay, so you bought in, right? I can't remember the name of the term, but so it's like you buy in to a company for $500 and they give you this product that you're supposed to make money off of, but you don't make any money off of it. And you go back and you're like, I didn't make anything. And they're like, well, you just have to do this other thing. Mm -hmm. And this other thing is $3,000. But when you get this other thing done, then you're really going to see the benefits. And so you go, okay, because I already put 500 and if I walk away now, I just lost $500. If I put more in, have you ever done that? Probably. About anything? I mean, I've done it in relationships. Mm -hmm. um, for sure. Yeah, I think that happens a lot. I don't remember if I said this before, but I was just going to say like the line – 
that I saw an interview with PJ Souls where she was kind of recounting things about the movie. Mm-hmm. And she was recounting the scene and how it was just all improvised and happened at the last minute. And then she was saying, like, when they got inside the house, Bill Murray grabbed a carrot and Ivan Reitman was like, oh, it's going to be good. Bring the camera in here. And he told PJ, no matter what Bill does, just tell him no and then reach a point where you give in. I was like, that sums it up. That sums uh, up life for women oof. in Hollywood, especially. <laughs> Ooh, we have a new sums it up, sums up quote. <laughs> sums up life for women. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> just keep just keep saying no until you say yes. Mm-hmm. That's like the whole yes means no, no means yes. I mean, no means yes thing that, you know, kind of got yeah. like perpetuated. <clears throat> it's like, oh, she doesn't really mean it when she's saying no. Mm-hmm. And it's shit like this that just, I think, feeds into that. Yeah. She's just saying no until eventually she's going to say yes. She's got to keep up the pretenses of being a good girl. Mm -hmm. Because women used to be told all the time that they shouldn't want sex. And that if they show a boy that they want to have sex, then that means the boy will think that they're a slut. But if they're like, oh, no. Oh, like, oh, ooh, ooh, we can't. Oh, no. Oh, oh, don't. You know, that whole thing that they do in, like, every movie ever. That thing is translated to she's just trying to show me she's a good girl. And that was a real thing. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not a real fucking thing now. No. (laughs) If you you think that's a thing now, (laughs) it's not hot. Humans have fantasies about being taken over. And that's a deep desire for a lot of people. But that's very different. (laughs) That's very different than getting tortured in a strange kitchen with utensils (laughs) that you're not even familiar. You don't know where those utensils have been. No. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think they wash them before they put them back in the drawer. And the homeowner is going to come back and scoop out some ice cream. He doesn't well, even know. <laughs> well, to me, based on Bill Murray's, uh, based on John's character, yeah. that's actually the main turn on. Is is he's actually, when he's with the scooper there, he's actually thinking about the, the owner of the house, who's an authority figure to oh. him. Mm-hmm. It's his boss on some level. My boss is now scooping ice cream with my girlfriend's essence oh my God. all over it. And that's really what he's getting off on. Oh, my God. That's like a whole other element. <laughs> I didn't think about that. It's even worse. Well, maybe not worse, but that just adds to it. It, I felt like there were like three different people all vying for like the sun, mm-hmm. like the direction of the direction the movie was going to go in or like the themes or the focus. Did you get that feeling? I feel like if there was a battle for the direction this movie was going or the themes, um, then everyone lost. <laughs> <laughs> I think especially when it gets to the point where they're guarding the urban assault vehicle which is like the reason that they got the special mission to go to italy is to guard this new military advancement if this vehicle is so advanced why does it need any protection at all that's my question (laughs) that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) yeah it should be able to protect itself (laughs) so they're doing something good and like showing some moral fiber or something admirable by like wanting to go visit their girlfriend and not just flooding around Italy, which whatever, they're not married. They're not in a real relationship. So if they wanted to, they could. 
Yeah, they're showing that they have uh, emotional attachments with people. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> Which it didn't seem like he was capable of. Right. And they're showing it. But instead of just being like, oh, whenever our shift is over, maybe we can go see them because you're in Europe. Like you can get anywhere else in Europe pretty quickly most of the time. So why don't you just like follow your responsibility and then go see them when your shift is done or rent a car? Mm-hmm. Why do you have to take the urban assault vehicle to go see them? Mm. That's just the whole, that just goes along with John Winger's whole like entitlement, disregard for everyone else. And then it causes like an international incident and people are taken hostage and lives are at stake all because they wanted to go see their girlfriends. It's like, well, great. We've got guys breaking the rules. And the rules that were agreed upon voluntarily. Um, mm-hmm. So that's very important to me when I think, is this a place for anarchy or not? <laughs> you know? Right. There is a place for anarchy. But if you have a set of rules that you were... It's totally consensual. You agree to these rules. That's on you, buddy. That's that's not the place for anarchy, you know. Agreed. Unless he like, ooh, if, it would have been different if there was like they discovered some secret where they actually had to save something, right? But the only thing they ever had to save in this movie is because John messed things up. And then they had to scramble last minute to come in and save his ass. Yes. And then he gets rewarded in the end. Yeah. For taking part in solving the problem that he created. When really it's the women, the military police officers who are leading the way and like operating the urban assault vehicle. Mm hmm they really are the ones that know what to do with it and they're really giving more direction. So, and they, they did show that, that Russell was very acknowledging Mm -hmm. of the women saving the day. Um, So there again, it's like, who's making this movie? But also, you know, you know, in that, like in the early eighties, I feel like the eighties had the most contradictory messages and feelings about who women were supposed to be and how women were supposed to be interacted with mm-hmm. in the world. And the eighties were the height of the pressure to be both. I feel like in a way that was like shocking and new for people. And, like, we're used to it now. We've grown up with it. We've grown up with the idea that you need to love getting your ass hit and poked with the spatula, but also able to drive a military vehicle into combat (laughs) and save everyone. Like, you need to do both of those things. And you need to be good at both of those things. These movies where women are basically just told that they have to say yes eventually. And that we need to have uh, shots of men leering at nude women in a shower women this can happen to you anywhere at any time like expect men to sexually violate your space on a regular basis it's just how we are we can't help it Mm -hmm. like they're pointing it out to you that it does happen like people peeking in on you or violating you and showing that it's bad, but at the same time, they're using that as like a prop in their movie too. So,
Um, oh, we need a question. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> um, yes. This is legitimately, we don't remember the question part. No. Maybe I need to get examined. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is just going to like document my mental decline. <laughs> And listen back to it through the years. <laughs> um, oh well, it, <laughs> I, no. Yeah. So if you've ever been in a relationship where you're like, this is going great, I don't want to ruin it by having sex with the person. Let's just <laughs> keep building and getting to know each other. And then you're like, yes, this person's the one. It's finally time. We should have sex. And then you do and it's terrible. And then you're like, oh, no. Now, if I break it off because of this, I'm going to look like really shallow and terrible. But also, I don't want to stay because of this. Yeah, because then you would just look like the person that was like long con trying to get laid or something. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So if you've ever been in that situation if you've ever been the one that broke up with the person or if you were the person that got broken up with because of it, or maybe you didn't even know that was why, but now you're thinking, hmm. Um, yeah. So let us know at podcast at gmail.com or message us on Instagram and we might read your letter in a future episode. Anything else? We have a special edition Maud is my co-pilot. <laughs> Tote bag. I was just thinking about Maud is my co-pilot yesterday. I love that so much. Maybe you need to get one. Maybe I do. Um, they're great holiday gifts. Whatever holiday you celebrate. Or just to celebrate the fact that you're alive or that you have a friend that you really love and you think they'd love it too. Just give yeah. it to them. Yeah. And while you're at it, you could subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So see you next Tuesday.